Two steps for Worcestershire, one step baklava. This week, as you're listening to this, masks are back. We'll break down exactly what happened and why. Plus, the city manager has a bit more autonomy to sign larger contracts, and the election, shocking, is still happening. Hi, I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking Speaking Municipally. Welcome back to Speaking Municipally, episode 145, where as you're listening to this, if you were indoors in Edmonton, you're probably wearing a mask again. Unless you're eating or drinking or, you know, any of the other, just simply ignoring it because that's what people do now. Maybe you've got one of John's Addicts mask exemption cards. Those still legally applicable. But if you're not a knob, then you're probably wearing a mask. And we'll break down exactly what happened and why and why maybe I was wrong last week about the minutiae of how the debate would be structured. But we'll get to all of that after the rapid fire. The University of Alberta is undergoing a massive structural change, but for better or worse, asked a CBC article this week, knowing the answer is worse. The article talks with academics and support staff in the institution, asking what they think of the unilateral slash and burn cuts being levied against the institution, and if they think the Great Depression was a crippling economic downturn or a nice opportunity to vacation and diet. On one hand, the article posits, hundreds of people are losing their jobs, but on the other hand, the U of A is falling further and further down on the global university ranking, so there's certainly two sides to this issue. Due to Valley Line West construction, the newly renovated West Edmonton Mall Transit Center will be closed and buses will stop elsewhere for a short period of six years. After some criticism was levied against the transit service for spending over a million dollars to renovate a station, only to close it for more than half a decade, ETS responded with a detailed infographic outlining their decision to move the station, quote, up your butt and around the corner, and noted that they will be installing tissue receptacles for, quote, little whiner boy crying babies like you. Two new scramble intersections on White Avenue are causing complaints about traffic congestion, said one upset resident, quote, ever since they installed this, White Ave has become a parking lot. It's useless, end quote. The city of Edmonton has taken the feedback seriously and unveiled a plan to adjust the signal timing to allow traffic to flow again, but it is meeting backlash for that idea as well. Said one poster on social media, quote, This is the typical Don Iveson war on cars. We finally get a new parking lot, and he's going to remove all our parking and bankrupt all the businesses in that area, end quote. At press time, the city of Edmonton had reached a compromise to just leave useless construction signage all over the sidewalk just to make sure that the new infrastructure doesn't work equally well for everyone. Speaking municipally as a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, locally grown, community supported. This episode is brought to you by the Business Council of Alberta. Have you ever wondered what it takes to create a good life in an equally good society, one where people, businesses, and the environment can flourish? Alberta Better, a podcast by the Business Council of Alberta, is on a journey to understand what it takes to create a good life here in Alberta and how we as Albertans, businesses, and governments can shape our society so everyone prospers. Find new episodes of Alberta Better on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also listen at businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. That's businesscouncilab.com slash Podcast. New episodes drop every other Tuesday. I think the best place to start off the episode this week is addressing how we're trash journalists who get nothing right ever. Uh, We have to issue a correction from our last episode. Yeah, we talked about the Clean Energy Improvement Program, and we may have uh, described it 
maybe it wasn't very clear, or we might have called it a rebate or a grant, but our friend Kate Watt, branch manager of assessment and taxation, who's been on the show before, helpfully reached out to correct us. And she clarified that the program is actually funding upfront that is repaid by property owners as part of their taxes. So this is just like how local improvement levies are handled. If you want to improve the sidewalk or the alley or one of those things, and everybody agrees, you all get a little tax that goes on to your annual taxes, and that's how you pay that back. Kate said that in other jurisdictions, they actually have a name for this. I don't know why we didn't call it the same thing, uh, but PACE is the acronym, which stands for uh, Property Assessed Clean Energy. And in Toronto, they have something called HELP, which is the Home Energy Loan Program. So our Clean Energy Improvement Program is similar to those things, and I will include some links in the show notes for you to read more about that. Everything else, by virtue of not having a correction issued, is fundamentally flawless and can have no issues poked in any way through it. So there we go. Our record is now completely pristine and we are infallible. On to the news. <laughs> okay, I want to go back to the rapid fire just quickly because, I mean, the jokes are true about the White Avenue scramble intersections. I've had a scramble intersection right on my street here now for quite some time. Uh to this day, people still don't know how to use them. And when I say people, I mean drivers, uh, mostly. Do you think there's any merit to this idea that the signal timing needs to be changed or that they got it wrong? Like, isn't it just the drivers on White Avenue don't seem to know how to work a scramble intersection? No, I think they're probably right. So um, I've been on White a couple times since this installed. And, you know, I write the joke facetiously, but traffic is backed up. I drive onto White Ave and I'm like, oh, geez, is there a really nasty collision? And then I get through the uh, intersection by Gateway Boulevard and Calgary Trail and there's just nothing there. Uh, so I think there is definitely a case to be made that the signal timings are very heavily influencing traffic. Now, whether that meant that it was anti-pedestrian beforehand, mm -hmm. uh, I suppose the argument could be made there. But as it stands, yeah, it, it, traffic is backed up. It, it's not wrong. Okay, well, fair enough. What is unquestionable about your joke, though, is that there is an incredible amount of useless construction signage all over the place. I am constantly dodging orange barriers that serve no purpose other than to get in my way. It's ridiculous. All right. Since we're going the taboo thing and talking about the rapid fire, I think we just need to talk briefly about what is going on in Valley Line West. D don't close a transit center for six years, especially not one that you've renovated just recently. Are they aware that you don't have to build the entire line at the same time? Yeah. Like, why don't you save the station for the very end and build everything else up to that point? Or like, build it first. doesn't matter. Whichever. Yeah, whichever. Like, it, it's ridiculous that it needs to be closed for so long. And or even build it in the middle. Choose a time, but, like, the construction on West Edmonton Mall's portion can't, can't take longer than a year at max. I mean, unless we're doing something really impressive and having the train go right into the mall or something, that would be pretty cool. I don't think that's in the plans, but yeah, ridiculous. Okay, let's get on to the news um, because there's a big piece of news that we have to cover and that's the mask mandate. Uh, we had talked about this last week about the mechanism by which a mask mandate might get resurfaced and resurfaced it did. Yeah, and not in the way that we thought it would. So it turns out that it was Andrew Knack who was one of the people who was on the losing side of the last amendment, who made the motion to have new amendments brought forward. The news here is that that did come forward. Council voted on that on Monday, passed nine to two with uh, councillors Zadok and Nickel voting against. 
And what it does is reactivate the bylaw starting today, September 3rd, as you're listening to this. And it will remain in effect until December 31st, which is when the bylaw had previously been updated to expire automatically. And the only way it could be now deactivated is if cases of COVID-19 in Edmonton fall below 100 per 100,000 people for 10 straight days. And I think it was really interesting with how this came back, because the source of this bylaw, it wasn't just Councillor Knack saying, yeah, I'd like this bylaw back. Please, I'll take one mask bylaw to go. It was administration had brought forward a report basically suggesting that the provincial requirement for masks on transit would be expiring on September 27th, I believe. Right. Uh, So they're saying, hey, do we want to do something about this transit piece? And then Councillor Nack said, hey, I got a question. Could I just make it everywhere? And the clerks and the chair said, you know, that'd be debatable. They said sort of what I had said on the podcast last week is like, we can do whatever we allow ourselves to do. And I'm not certain whether we'll allow you to do that. But yeah, probably. And so he did. I wonder if it's because it was unanimous, uh, his motion. Like even Mike Nickel voted in favor of potential amendments, bringing that back. So maybe council all just agreed that whatever rules we have in place don't really matter. We all really want to see potential amendments in this case. I think there's also a case to be made that in the discussion, it was, of course, you know, Councillor Knack that had uh, started this discussion about more broadly interacting with the masks. But Councillor Cartmel was expressing his frustration that he didn't have data, that cases were going up. And he seemed to be ramping up to, I'm going to reconsider my vote. Mm-hmm. And he was on the side of reestablishing the mask mandate everywhere else now. And in fact, other councillors did join him on that. The only one we that sort of remains a question mark is Councillor Hamilton, who is now on maternity leave. So she was absent from the vote. Hence why it was 9-2 with her and Henderson. Henderson uh, away. Yep. Okay. That's interesting about Cartmel, especially because he was the one that was quite vocally saying that we are not the experts. We do not have the data. The province does. Administration in their recommendations cited a few different options for data to consider when looking to reactivate. They looked at the R value for the Edmonton zone, the Edmonton zone hospitalization rate. And the reason they landed on active case rates for the city of Edmonton is because it's the only metric they have that is specific to the city and not the AHS Edmonton zone, which is quite a bit larger. I wonder where that data comes from. Does that data not come from the province? Is this not the same data that we were all talking about? I think it's the same, right? It all comes from the same place. And if we stop doing testing provincially, I don't see how we're going to have this data for Edmonton. I think my broader thesis point is on this discussion around masks. I'm pretty sick of being gaslit by everyone involved. Because, for example, just a year ago, when we were saying we want a provincial mask mandate, you had Jason Kenney publicly getting in front of cameras and saying, I think this should be a local issue. I don't think the province should decide on this. I think municipalities should decide this. And then the municipalities decided, and then we got a provincial mask mandate. And now municipalities are saying things like, we can't decide this. You have, you know, Mike Nickel coming out, putting out a video saying the province is the experts. They should be making the decision. We shouldn't be making this decision, even though, you know, the province has previously told municipalities to make this decision themselves. And they reiterated that this week. They said in response to this, yeah, municipalities are free to make whatever decision they want. And I think one of the things that really frustrated me this week is when administration was presenting their plan to make 
masks mandatory for employees in city rec facilities. In questioning with Aaron Paquette, he basically asked, well, if the discussion is around keeping staff members safe, like this was a workplace safety concern, yeah, and masks keep other people safe, why are you not mandating that the public wear masks? Right. And, you know, city staff sort of stammered and said, ah, I'm going to defer to someone else. And they came up with an explanation that, you know, well, staff members spend more time with other staff members. So the masking of staff members is, you know, the bigger piece uh, will protect. But if you are in a rec center with thousands of members of the public coming through and those members of the public aren't wearing masks, that's not safe. That's if you think masks keep people safe, then that that's just not safe. And I got to say, I was very frustrated to hear once again, everyone talking around the issue and like playing political football, not wanting to aggravate provincial conservatives. We've done that. Mm -hmm. Like Edmonton politically has done that. Why do we care? Why are we light footing around people who are showing up outside hospitals protesting vaccines? Why do we care about these people? That's my thesis statement. I'm with you on that. And I feel like a lot of folks are probably going to be saying, I'm really happy. I'm glad that city council took action when the province has failed to do so. And I don't think our city council should get off that easy because they're the ones that voted to deactivate this bylaw as of July 1st. Now, all of a sudden, we're going to go from a situation where many people have gotten used to not wearing masks to again, requiring it and expecting it. I don't know what it's been like where you are, Troy, but in the places I've been going, mask wearing is almost non-existent. And to all of a sudden think that we're just going to have great compliance again is kind of ridiculous. And I feel like it falls squarely on the city. If they'd kept the mask bylaw in place, if council hadn't deactivated it on July 1st, we'd be in a much better position today in terms of um, enforcement and compliance with this masking bylaw. I'm really not confident that just because they've done this now, we're going to see lots of people wearing masks. I think there's no better sort of like microcosm of what you're saying to me than Earth's general store just off White Ave and 99th Street. Because, you know, when council initially dropped the mask mandate, they were very adamant. They were on social media. They were getting a lot of retweets saying, you know, we are still enforcing masks. Yeah. Masks are mandatory. A month later, masks are still mandatory for our staff and they're recommended for customers. And then, you know, a month later, it's like, eh, please wear a mask if you want, but masks aren't required anymore. And yeah. even the most stalwart progressive businesses, they you can't fight the tide. The province has said COVID is over. There's only so much individuals and businesses can do to fight that. There's only one Fleisch in Edmonton. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else is doing what they are doing. And yeah, I mean, it's just, it's going to be really hard. And, and it's no surprise that, you know, businesses are upset this week about the news. Now, I don't agree with Cherie from the OSBA who said that, oh, we didn't have enough notice. Like, that is ridiculous. Like, you know that cases are going back up. If you run a business, you should be expecting that something like this is going to happen. You should be able to plan for it. And they made the decision Monday and it's implemented five days. That's four whole business days. Feels like enough notice for you to put up a sign that says masks are required. When I was on vacation earlier and we, uh, through the magic of radio, tricked people into thinking I was here, one of those places I stopped in was Kelowna. And we were visiting some friends there and we had scheduled bowling for 10, 15 p.m. 
And that was on a Friday. And that was the same Friday where the BC government said, Okanagan region, drink service stops at 9.30. And they announced it at 4 p.m. And it was effective at 9.30 p.m. that night. Wow. And sure, my bowling plans got canceled because them's the breaks. That's what happens when government interacts with business. I don't buy at all that businesses need notice to have one last big hurrah super spreader event. That just doesn't seem necessary to me. Unless you're in Strathcona County. (laughs) Oh, you were. I was waiting for that to come up. So Strathcona County also reactivated their mask bylaw, but they decided to set the start date for September 10th. And the reason was not because, you know, they needed to go to public hearing or they needed some sort of approvals process. No, it was because they said some people may have weekend plans. Because <laughs> it's the long weekend. Yeah. What weekend plans would be ruined by wearing a mask in Strathcona County? And also, is your plan to go to dinner in a movie more important than trying to stop the fourth wave the predictions now in case you haven't heard six thousand per day by october in alberta if things don't change yeah i i gotta say i was not the only one baffled by strathcona county's take here i mean grateful that they decided to go for regional solidarity and also implement a mask bylaw the worst Mm -hmm. thing that could happen is edmonton is a sole island in the region because that could be problematic I don't know what they're doing over there in Strathcota County. (laughs) No one does. Well, back in Edmonton, the other thing that council decided on Monday is that all City of Edmonton employees will be required to disclose whether they've received a COVID-19 vaccination by September 10th to uh, align with their plans to reopen the offices. Cool. I'm fine with that. Good on them. About time. Speaking of things that are about time, don't have much to say on this, but the city of Edmonton has now officially passed a safe passing distance. So as of September 30th, motorists must move over at least one meter on roads with a speed limit of 60 kilometers an hour or less and 1.5 meters on roads over 60 kilometers an hour when passing cyclists. Failure to do so could result in a fine of $250. And this is one of those bylaws that I'm like, this isn't already a bylaw? I'm surprised. I think we had some kind of rule, but it didn't specify the distance. And what's interesting now is we have this one meter and 1.5 meter distance, not like anyone's going to be out on the road with a measuring tape to check this out. So it feels a little more like a psychological kind of thing. We're hoping that the good Samaritan drivers out there will set a good precedent on the road by giving enough space I mean, I don't know how many people when they're driving, people have horrible depth perception when they're parking. How are they going to know what a meter is when they're driving? But, you know, give cyclists space. That's the point here. What has absolutely baffled me is the response I've seen on the internet to this as this doesn't make sense. This will gridlock traffic. We can't require (laughs) people to do this. You already had to do this. You legally have to give cyclists space when you pass. We just put a number on it. Right. And like as a decent human being like give some people some room when you're going around them on the road right it's definitely not going to lead to gridlock it's also because it doesn't sound like this is really going to be enforced jessica lamar from the city's uh, vision zero team basically said that 
while police can hand out tickets if they catch someone, or perhaps reactively in the case of a collision where it's very clear that the reason was they were too close to the cyclist. We're not really going to focus on that, and we're going to instead focus on just creating awareness about this distance and hoping that people follow the rules. And in the article about this, I thought it was really interesting. There is apparently technology in some municipalities that does measure this, but Edmonton has no plans or budget to bring that technology here. We can't even manage to bring the technology that measures noise of motorcycles. So I don't have huge optimism that we're going to get radar passing technology <laughs> installed. Fair point. The other quick note that I want to talk about is the city manager financial authority item. This is one of those items that sort of like comes out of left field and low left field in the week before council's final week of business. What was this all about? Well, this is what caught my eye because of the timing. So you could look at this and say it's just scheduled for review every five years. The last one was in 2016, so we're on schedule. Or you could look at it and say right before the municipal election where we're going to have a new city council, administration has put forward a bylaw to shift power essentially from council to administration. So the city administration bylaw is the one we're talking about, and it attempts to distribute some authority between council and the city manager. So the idea here is that council shouldn't deal with every single last contract. Some of them are way too small. We should just trust that the city manager can look after those. But if they're large enough, if they're non-competitive, so we've only gone to one provider, then there's a limit to what the city manager can do without seeking council approval. And even for the ones that they can do, they have to be reported on a regular basis so that at least council has some opportunity to provide some oversight to those things. And the bylaw recommendation, the amendments that were put forward this week and unanimously approved by council quite significantly increased that authority. So a couple of things to note, the city manager's general authority for agreement and uninsured legal settlements is $500,000. That's what it's been since 2009. And so they've now doubled that to a million. And it says, quote, given inflation and the overall increase in city budgets over the past 12 years. I mean, it's a long time. Maybe that's a fair increase. Second one that is interesting is budget adjustments. They can now approve budget adjustments. So this is things within existing approved budgets, just moving money around, for example, of up to $5 million, where it used to be $2 million. And of course, the most important one in my mind is about reporting. So previously, the city manager had to report at least twice a year on all non-competitive agreements over $75,000. Now, they only have to report non-competitive procurements over $250,000 and only annually. So that's a lot less oversight that council will have over uh, single source non-competitive procurements. And the police commission has asked that they get the same limit lift. So they also have less need to report what they're spending you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars on. My big question is like, you know, for most of this, just like increasing limits with adding higher discretionary spending to the city. That all makes sense to me. I mean, maybe the amounts could be changed. Whatever, it comes out in the wash for me. The idea that we're reducing the amount of reporting required for these sole source contracts, it does baffle me because what's the benefit of here? Like how taxing is it to say, hey, I spent $90,000, here's the receipt. Yeah, they, they have a system, they run a report, they generate a report, they attach a document to a council meeting, and council 
maybe if we're lucky looks at it, hopefully they're doing their jobs and they read it, or it just gets received for information. But at least then the public has an opportunity to look at it and we can look at that and ask questions about it. I, I don't see the cost savings in significantly increasing the the limit for reporting. I, like, I suppose I could understand if they were stopping reporting entirely. You know, it, we got to throw out this whole reporting system. We didn't have to track any of our receipts, but it's only increasing the limit. And it does give me pause because if we're getting significant cost savings by increasing this limit, that means that there is a ton of $150,000 sole source contracts. And I'd like to see about those because yeah, we have a procurement process for a reason. We'd be remiss if we did not end the episode with everyone's favorite segment, and that's the election rundown segment, where we tell you all about what happened in the municipal election this week. And I think this week is all about things happening to candidates and Troy speculating if they're (laughs) (laughs) self-inflicted. Okay, so first thing that is happening to candidates, I guess, is sign vandalizing. Global News did a story this week about, you know, election signs being vandalized, going missing, all sorts of that. And this happens in every election. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's definitely, in the case of Rhiannon Hoyle running an EP Coca Nipiozzi, there was a clear racial element to her sign vandalization. And it it sucks when that happens. Yeah. So I'm not talking about that type of sign vandalism. But the rest of the sign vandalism where, you know, like someone changes Mike Nichols sign that's to say, you know, it's your turn to get head instead of your turn to get a head. Um, or, you know, someone draws a penis on someone's candidate's sign. The typical election riffraff. My advice to candidates whenever I talk to them is turn off the cameras, go out at night and vandalize your own signs. It is only upside. <laughs> like Global News is going to write a story about it. You're going to be a sympathetic figure. Oh, woe is me. You're going to get so many donations. There is no downside to vandalizing your own signs. And I have to assume some candidates are doing this because it happens to every candidate, basically. Some of them are in really absurd ways. I don't know. Um, Maybe this is my cynicism sneaking through. It's a very interesting strategy. What do you make of Councillor Nickel consistently tweeting about picking up <laughs> signs for Michael Oshry or other candidates that have been knocked over and fixing them. Mike Nickel has always been a concern troller. He likes to present himself as, you know, the everyman. But here's the problem. Mike Nickel doesn't have concern for other people because if he did, he wouldn't have the platform he has. Whoops. Sorry, Mike. Um, sue me. <laughs> okay. I think the other big thing that's frustrating about Nickel is just that he is so concern trolling on this sign thing he's got this petition and this pledge for be nice to our signs for all candidates and he's constantly attacking amarjeet sohi for not engaging with him on this sign snafu and it's just it's all just like stuff that doesn't matter you know election sign shrinkage is a cost in a campaign and it should be budgeted for and good campaigns do budget for it and if mike nickel hasn't i think that speaks to his business acumen (laughs) (laughs) Okay, good point. All right, the other item that is about, uh, that you're going to speculate about, I can't see who this is, because for whatever reason, Global News does not like to mention people, but it says, man running for seat on Edmonton City Council calls for more police support after attack. That sounds bad. Somebody got attacked? Yeah, so the candidate in question, and again, I love it when news organizations call 
people man instead of just yeah. giving a name. Yeah. Tarsi Shindelka, who's running in Ward Papasteo, is the man in this case. Uh, he's Mike Nichols' chosen candidate for the progressive ward. Um, but he got on video with Global News with a black eye and said he was a victim of a road rage incident. And in the video, he does say the description of the road rage incident was he was sucker punched and then he had to defend himself. My question, without victim blaming too much here, is if you're in a situation where there's road rage happening and someone is able to sucker punch you, that means you've gotten out of your car. <laughs> right. Nobody Don't punches do that. Just drive away. Yeah. But, you know, benefit of the doubt, maybe there was a fender bender and then people got angry and he was being a good Samaritan exchanging insurance information. Okay. Sure. He then <laughs> uses this to say that if he was elected, he would not defund the police in any way because many areas of Edmonton are in a state of lawlessness and we need the police to protect them. That's the Mike Nickel talking point. It then throws to an advocate for, uh, you know, police reform. He says, well, that's not really what defund the police means. It means just, you know, sending other workers, uh, social services, or any other uh, trauma specialists who might be able to defuse the situation. Don't use the police as a hammer and treat everything like a nail. Use the right tool for the job, which in many cases is not the police. Right. And then cuts back to Tarsi, who's saying, you know, we should have social workers with the police so that they can de-escalate. Basically advocating for defunding <laughs> the police in the same breath as saying he will never defund the police. I thought it was humorous and did he punch himself in the face so he could get on global news? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. I mean, if it did, it worked. A last item, and it's not about the municipal election, but the Alberta party has a new leader now by acclamation. Barry Morishita, who we talked about before, uh, former president of the AUMA, who said he was going to go and run for this. He's not running for re-election as mayor of Brooks. And as you say, by acclamation, he is the new leader of the Alberta party. So we should expect big things from them, right? Uh, we should expect the things we continually expect from the Alberta party, which is at best nothing and at worst damaging to our democracy. I am sad because Barry Morishita is a very smart guy who, when he interacted with us, I thought he was very competent. I had big dreams for Barry. And like I've said in the past, the Alberta party is where political dreams go to die. Uh, so... Rip Prove Troy Barry wrong, Barry. Dreams. Prove him wrong. Make it happen. And I mean, it's possible. Like, I think he was a reasonably popular mayor of Brooks. Uh, the Alberta party might get a seat this time, and it might be his seat because, you know, he's got that leader bump. And, you know, maybe that's the point. Maybe right. he wanted a seat in the legislature. He didn't like partisan politics, and this is his way of getting in as an independent. If that's the case, Barry, kudos to you. Smart play. I like it. I'm, I'm coming around. I'm coming around. Good, good move, Barry. <laughs> we will find out soon enough. Well, not soon enough, but we will find out. And we will find out all of these things probably on a subsequent episode of Speaking Municipally because we are out of time for today. But there's always time for our good friends at the Alberta Association of Optometrists. One in four school-aged kids has a vision problem, yet 80% of learning is visual for a child. That's why booking family eye exams with an optometrist helps ensure learning success. You can't detect hidden eye problems, but your optometrist can. Alberta health coverage towards your annual eye exams is available until your child's 19th birthday, which, you know, I learned so much about Alberta health from these optometrist ads. <laughs> why is it 19? Where yeah. did that come from? Good question. 
shocking. We don't have the answer to it, but we do know that you can book your family's eye exam today at optometrists.ab.ca. And the Alberta Association of Optometrists represents almost 800 doctors of optometry in over 80 communities across the province. Members are highly trained, regulated health professionals who provide primary eye health and vision care to Albertans. You can learn more at optometrists.ab.ca. And that's all for this week. Goodbye. We'll see you next week. Until then. Oh, good, good. You you know how it ends. I'm Troy. I'm Mac. And we're Speaking, Speaking Municipally. Municipally.